Hello, everybody. Welcome to... This is kind of special Sonic Talk. I know you're probably all waiting for episode 500. This isn't really episode 500. This is a special. We were talking a little bit in last week's episode, 499, about library music. And we covered it a little bit. And it struck me that I had a really good opportunity to talk to somebody who's deep into library music, as well as many other things that they do in music. And so uh, today we're going to talk to... uh, Mr. DJ Puzzle, a.k.a. Jason. Uh, how are you, Jason? Jason's in L.A. He's a music producer and creator of uh, royalty-free loops. I mean, you've done a whole bunch of stuff in your career. How are you? I know it's early. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. I'm waking up. Uh, the coffee's kicking in. Um, it's good to see you, Nick, of course. Uh, Honoured to be here. Well, um, we've met before. Uh, Jason, uh, a few years ago, yeah. um, Jason was one of the live blogger guys because uh, he's based in the LA area. He, ca- uh, he was live blogging from Nam, and uh, we met when uh, we have our Saturday night drinks party and we got on really well. And so I thought, this is what a perfect opportunity to have a chat with you. So, <laughs> oh, Cool. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always a pleasure to see you when you're in the States at the Nam show and uh, was it two years ago we had a booth um for the first time that well my loop company and uh i was gonna dig that picture up and maybe show it to the you know the crowd but i it, i didn't have time but there's a nice photo of us hanging out at the booth ah uh, yes and of course our famous saturday night tequila sessions always right. very much enjoyable and uh, i have to say you are a master at staying the pace <laughs> we don't need to mention that um, okay right we'll we'll gloss over that briefly then <laughs> no, right on I, I just want to check you're recording now you've got your audio your audio yeah it should yeah. be uh recording here i turned the screen off but let me just double check yeah i just want to because it's one of those things that you because your audio is breaking up a little bit so i just want to make sure that we've got that and we can pick it, it up okay um so i've got uh a session open here in my daw and yeah, we're still going. Okay, cool. Good to go. All right. So, so I'll just switch. I'll leave it up on that monitor that I can see. Ah, so I can that, yeah, good, good, good plan. So, Jason, um, tell me a little bit. I mean, you're also known as DJ Puzzle. I mean, I guess, did you start out DJing? I mean, where's your kind of musical history come from? Uh, well, um, okay, so um, yes and no. Um, I got started in as a teenager, you know, in, in electronic music, you know, dabbling with MIDI and sampling and stuff in the eighties. But, um, later on, uh, in my late twenties, I got a really cool job at Sonic Foundry. You remember them acid pro uh, editing loops for their loops for acid. And, um, I think that was kind of what really switched my life into, okay, this is real. I can, I can work in the, the music industry for real as a professional. And I got a crash course working there in two years. And then um, when I when I uh, was let go from that company because they downsized, uh, I don't know, it's a long story, but the market crashed. They went public, market crashed, and fired a bunch of employees to sort of trim the fat. Um, they hired me on as a freelancer developing uh, content for their Acid Pro software. Right. And from that point on, it kind of just... I was DJing. I was DJing weddings before that. And in the mid nineties, I was doing like weddings and parties and, you know, playing with my friends and stuff like that. Um, but then I had the idea to kind of turn it into more of a brand after the Sonic Foundry thing. Um, because I was creating a lot of loops and I thought, well, DJ puzzle, it's like putting the sound pieces together. Uh, the loops, you know, kind of tied in. So that's where I got that. So I thought, okay, that maybe that could be a cool brand, you know? 
So you th- um, so you then start you, you so you started to make your own loops and kind of I, I guess what was that based in it, it did you come at that from a sort of DJ type type of thing or I guess you'd learned quite a lot about that because they used to do lots of soundtrack stuff and you know it wasn't just music loops did they acid uh, the Sonic Foundry stuff guys did yeah I mean there was all kinds of things um, but I was hired to produce for Acid DJ which is a specific product. So I thought to myself, well, if I'm producing for this this product that's going to be in Best Buy and Computer Discount Warehouse, all those big stores back then, um, you know, maybe I should push my brand as a DJ. But yeah, no, you could do anything. I mean, you could do soundtracks, scoring, whatever with with uh, with that software. Um, they had you know library a huge library of sounds, um, lots of stuff: rock, country, ambient, uh, jazz, uh, Latin. Um, but I was doing the electronic stuff for them. A lot of the EDM, which wasn't called EDM back then, but, um, yeah, what did it, uh, what so did it, you, what of, did it used to be called before it was called EDM? It was, I jo- don't know, I guess, well, they were the marketing term that was hot, I guess was the electronica. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that? of course. Yeah. Um, it's as a, a fan of electronic music, I just called it electronic music or dance music or house or, you know, industrial back when I was like, you know more concerned with what things were called you know, right. when I was like younger, but yeah, then the EDM thing kind of took off. And so then, uh, after that, I, I was able to launch peace of productions, my own loop company. And then that kind of, I was still DJing. I had a weekly gig in Chicago at a couple spots, a residency. But then, um, after I got into the kind of library production music side of things, I kind of put the whole DJing thing aside. Right. So when, I mean, how did it evolve? I mean, when you started doing that, were you already kind of kitted up and ready to kind of make your own things or did you have to sort of form the whole thing in one go? Cause I mean, you said you started out dabbling. I mean, did you keep a, a studio on the go or a, a setup on the go during those years? Yeah, I always had something that I brought with me, um, a couple synths, uh, but I also had a business partner um, who had a pretty nice studio in his place, and he had a bunch of synths. And um, you know, it was all hardware. We were—that's the thing. We'd use hardware. You know, you wouldn't use software synths, or you know, you couldn't. You didn't want to create loops from from someone else's sample pack. You know, or I mean, not sample pack, but like you know, Rompler or whatever. You wanted to use synthesizers and hardware and do do the sound design and, and make it unique. And um, so Bernard had a lot of cool, that was my old business partner back, uh, the other half of Peace Love Productions. Um, and so I always had, you know, some synths, a controller, things like that, that I had around drum machine, whatever. Um, and kind of brought that with me. And, um, until I want to say the past 10 years, whatever, uh, I finally started to kind of dial it in where I knew exactly what I wanted and I kept around and what worked for me. Is any of that old stuff uh, still with you? Have you got any kind of legacy pieces that have always that are always there? You know, like a kind of favorite, whatever from from that early period. Um, honestly, no, I don't anymore. Wow, no, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure I could have kept a few things that would have been cool. Like I had a Juno 106. Um, People will be gasping that you got S- rid of that, Jason. How could you? <laughs> I, I know. I know. And now I just, you know, as far as analog goes, the only thing I have right now is a Moog Voyager. And uh, the, the Tempest is part analog, I guess. I mean, and so is the P12, but um, to some degree. But anyway, yeah. And so, I mean, I, and I had a lot of gear over the years, but, 
you know, as it ebbs and flows and I moved a lot, I was always moving around. I was living in, I don't know, six different places in Chicago. That's my hometown. And then, uh, you know, I lived in Madison before that for Sonic Foundry. So I moved a lot. So it's kind of like schlepping that stuff around. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. So when, when, when did it become apparent that this was what you could do? Because, I mean, you got, you, you got the gig, you know, the, pe- the actual kind of when you were working for Sonic Foundry, and then you went freelance. When did you start getting additional clients? Was there a kind of a moment where, where you just thought, hey, you know, this could really work out? Yeah, so I had this uh, kind of epiphany. A lot of my customers, that, people that buy my loops and stuff, they, they would, you know, write me and say, these are great sounds. I'm using them in uh, library music. I'm writing for TV. Um, one of my customers, even to this day, he's followed me to Soundtrack Loops, is the guy from uh, Class B Ksupo, I think is how you pronounce it, um, the Rugrats cartoon. Oh, yeah. The guy who found it, yeah, uh, he comes around once in a while and just scoops up like 20 packs. Um, so, and then uh, this one woman, I forget her name, she was writing for like Nicktoons and she had a contract with them and she bought like everything. And uh, so I thought to myself, well... Maybe I should be doing that. You know, I started hearing my loops on TV in shows. Um, I remember a long time ago, I heard something that I did on Saturday Night Live. It was something oh, wow. off like, of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, was, it was off of one of the Sonic Foundry loop packs that I produced. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I should get into that. that. I've always wanted to, even as like a... a a teen, you know, playing video games and stuff. I always wanted to get music and video games. Um, so I just had that thought and I don't know, I guess I materialized it. I got this email from reverb nation, um, saying we're reaching out to our top artists in all the major cities. We have this new partnership with APM in Hollywood. They're uh, a big sync agent library uh, service um submit some songs it wasn't like a a a pay to submit situation it was a very private like direct right conversation and um so i took it seriously i wasn't like well if they were like well but also you have to pay i'd be like no i'm not gonna do that but it was like a legit thing and so i sent him some tunes and next thing you know i've got this featured album coming out on um apm I was one of 13 artists chosen to launch that whole um, new product line for, or whatever, for, you know, library for Reverb Nation. Uh, so now I've got all these songs with APM and I'm like, well, cool. I guess I hooked up with a sync agent. I'm, I'm in, you know? And um, so I just started sending them more material. It was always open for me. The, the backend uh, admin page was is still open for me on Reverb Nation. It's something that not everyone has. And then I can just uh, submit these songs and they go straight to APM. Um, and since then, APM has been great. I love them. Uh, I know them all now. Um, I see them at NAB all the time. We hang out. They're in L.A. Um really cool people and they've gotten me hundreds of placements over the i don't know past six seven years it's really interesting that so i mean in many ways you're really fortunate you got that break and you were able to deliver the kind of thing so from going for producing loops i mean were you already in the mindset of what kind of what it takes to create the structure of a piece of music or the the kind of thing or did you just follow your own creative creative kind of process and just go well maybe this is cool i mean i wondered how how premeditated is it 
Yeah, so now it's a little more premeditated, but back then um, I was kind of just writing whatever, and but the songs were still getting placed. I'll never forget the uh, from that first album uh, some of the coolest things that happened, like um, an episode of Portlandia, for example. Um, they edited the song and the video, and it works. It's so cool, but I and I see how they do that now. So. Um, I keep that in mind when I write now, but back then I was kind of just sending whatever and, um, it was still getting placed. It's like background instrumental. So it could either be like way in the background or sometimes it's really cool. It's way up in front. It's part of the scene. Um, so I found that recently I've been thinking more and more about structuring the arrangement for TV. Um, where you have like a lot of stops, kind of dynamic changes. Uh, you don't want a lot of really distracting sounds like nasally lead sounds that are way up front in the mix, stuff like that could kind of distract from what's going on yeah. in the show. Um, so now it's kind of premeditated, it's but inter- not always. It, yeah, um, no, it's interesting because I was listening because I've got your page here up on, uh, I think it's on Orpheum where you've just, you know, there's a okay. lot of tunes up here. And one thing I did notice, I mean, they're, you know, they're not, some of them are, are kind of three minutes plus, but a lot of them are kind of short musical sketches. and kind of, But the thing that I really noticed is the transitions between sections, you're not often smearing that line. You know, I haven't got something moving over it so that people could, I guess, editors would maybe go, I want this section, and they could just use that section without having to figure out, oh, I need to get rid of that white noise sweep because it, it starts before that juncture. I mean, you, so in terms of arrangement right. and that sort of thing, is that, you, you must be very confident conscious of doing that sort of stuff right yeah and um i've been told by some editors that you know my stuff's really easy to to edit to um uh that's why i got that gig uh i think you mentioned something about hbo i scored an h a short for hbo it was like the one of their very first uh shorts um it wasn't something they did in the past uh it was kind of to they they took some students in and it was this whole thing where they were trying to help, uh, you know, these students out and, and get started. And one of them was uh, this dude, Jamal, who I had already scored something for his uh, thesis project, which had uh, Jake Hoffman in it as the lead. Um, and so he hit me up and he's like, I, I really like the vibe that you did, that you have and your stuff's really easy to edit to. And that made me think, okay, so that's what they're doing. They want things kind of locked up to a grid. It's easier when it's locked up to a grid. Um, and it's easy when you can, it makes things easier for them when you can just kind of, you know, splice and edit. Yeah. Song yeah. 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 And not yeah. have to worry about, like you said, things carrying over or weird sounds that might have like a long tail that, you know, it's interesting. I mean, that whole creative process, I mean, cause obviously at the beginning you had, you, you're following your own creative, uh, you know, instinct. So you did whatever you felt. I mean, do you, do you, do you find now that are you still putting stuff sort of into a void or do people come to you go, I need something like this for this particular, do you, do you write to picture very often now, or are you still putting it out there in, in, in that same kind of library type format? Yeah, so now I'm writing more specific pro- for specific projects uh, shows. My buddy, um, his name is Jerry. He's in the band Warrant. Um, he's based in Vegas. He's got a, a library company called Down Boys, and so he'll hit me up. I don't know two three times a month saying we've got a new show. It's Pip or whatever. We need songs for Pitbulls and Parolees. Another show. 
here's a, he'll give us a bunch of examples. Like, so we'll take those examples in, kind of digest them and then just spew a bunch of stuff back out. And, um, it, and we're all really good at that. So it gets placed. So there's like stuff like that where I know if I put time into it and I, I'm feeling it, um, it's going to get placed. I don't have to worry about it being in a void somewhere and waiting for it to do something. Um, right. So that makes a lot yeah. of sense. I mean, I guess the thing is, you know, that there are many schools of thought on there because, I mean, the, the, the kind of uh, stereotypical uh, notion of an artist is they they torture over their art and they put it out there and, the, you know, one day the uh, they have this massive unexpected hit and it's all kind of they've never actually tried to, to to be successful necessarily it's just like their natural creative spirit has got to the where they are and i guess that may be where it started out for you so do you i mean do you find that you're able to kind of fulfill your creative side you know you know because obviously there must be some things where you're you're being asked to do pitch for something that maybe just background music for a fairly middle of the road daytime tv type of thing and it's it's maybe not as creatively interesting or challenging i mean how do you tackle that stuff or do you pick and choose um kind of picking and choosing right now um because like i said i've got jerry hitting me up i've got um i just got a contract from uh, a company in canada called nightingale music uh it's a three song deal writing deal they wanted vocals um this one was asking for something sort of along the lines of uh, Owl City, you know, yeah. kind of a vanilla EDM kind of feel good vibe. With that vocal um, sound. Yeah. <laughs> with the vocal style. Yeah. And those kind of cheesy lyrics or whatever. So um, I like that. I think it's a challenge. I like a challenge. To me, that's like, okay, yeah, I haven't done that before. Let me do it. And, um, and that's cool. I love a good challenge. If someone said, you know, I want throw anything at me. Let's see if we can do it. You know, if I have to hire some session players, I'll write the music and get them in. You know, it's it's fun. I love it. Um, and I can already hear the music in my, you know, in my head. Right. So you get it's that. It's a matter of-, of getting it out. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, you're going to plant that seed in my head. Now I have to like see if I can nurture it and turn it into something you know presentable that <laughs> yeah yeah and so that that's fun i love that that's a challenge you know I, I really like doing that um the stuff jerry sends me it's like rock you know so i bust out my guitar i get to play some guitar that's fun um i have a drummer i'm more of a drummer at heart uh so i program some solid rock beats using like a contact instrument or something um and then bust out the guitar it's the bass the Les Paul. Um, a lot of times it's easy. It's like punk rock, you know, it's easy. Yeah. Some bar chords. Um, but then again, there's the other side of it where I'm writing whatever I want. If I'm in the mood, I write like a cool kind of uh, feature bass kind of EDM type thing. I send that to APM and um, APM, they'll place it. Uh, that's what I love about them. They're so awesome. So like if I'm just kind of being myself creatively, that's stuff I send to APM. So you can still get, do you find, I mean, do you find, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit briefly. I mean, once you get to a certain step and you've got this large back catalog, people sort of look mm-hmm. for you as an, as an artist in your own right and go, yeah, I want stuff from him because I know it will work and, I, and we connect you know, with his mindset and music. I mean, do you find that that's what's happening and that's why you get all those placements, do you think? Yeah, um, you'll be surprised that after a while you start to notice 
wow, I'm getting a lot of sh- songs in the show. Um, Parts Unknown, for example. Mm. Uh, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. I was in like three or four seasons of that show. Um, and I think it's the editor. I'm pretty sure I, <laughs> I might have even met one of the editors at an NAB show and didn't realize it. And we just hit it off. And it was maybe at like an APM event in their suite. And so that kind of helps too. But yeah, then they put the name to, or the face to the name and uh, they like what I do. Um, so they do, they go back. Oh, let's see what Jason has. So you have to keep it fresh. It's a numbers game. You need a lot of music and you have to keep it fresh. Keep new content coming in. With APM, I send them at least 20 to 30 songs per month. Whoa. Okay, uh, this is yeah. one question I was going to get at because uh, I know we spoke in LA and you were telling me how much stuff you were writing and it just really kind of blew mm-hmm. my mind. You know? So an average week, you know, wh- how many, or say an average month, how many tunes would you try and, you know, what's your, do you have a kind of tar- target, you know, assuming you haven't got a big job in that's asking for a ridiculous amount, what sort of your, is your target for that sort of stuff? I don't really set a target for myself personally, but that's because I kind of trust I'm going to hit at least, I think, 20 to 30. Oh, wow. If I don't hit 20, I'd be kind of bummed. Um, but I don't put that pressure on myself. I kind of just let it happen. So that's five uh, a week. It, yeah, or it could be none that week, but like 10 or 15 the next. You know what I mean? Like it depends. Or I'll have like an idea and I'll get a little sketch down and I'll have maybe like 10 of those just kicking it on my hard drive. And then one day I'll go in and I'll just tweak them all and finish them, you know? Uh, yeah. So, and like you said, they don't have to be long. That's the beauty of production music. It can be uh, 30 seconds to two and a half minutes, pretty much. Okay. You know? Wow. So, I mean, yeah. so you must, I mean, you strike me that you must have a certain amount of self-discipline because you know, you know, it, it, the, the ability to get up in the morning and go, right, today I know I have to, you know, I've got these 10 or 12 ideas, whatever it may be sitting around, I need to sort of get them into some kind of shape. And you mix all, and you produce all of that stuff there. I mean, a lot of it, you produce it in your studio. Most of it is, most of it, yes. Um, I do have a team of friends that are also composers that I work with from time to time. Um, if there's a huge project or there's something that I feel, you know, like my buddy John Hobart, he's a really amazing orchestral guy. Um, you know, I might bring them in, um, but for the most part, I would say about 80% of it is done right here. Right. And this, what you see here. Yeah. Um, so... But that's I, like, that sounds di- like a bunch of discipline. I mean, that's the thing, because, I mean, most of us, you know, tortured artists take months to get the hi-hat part right and, you know, still work. I mean, unless you're one of those people that just pours out of lucky, which sounds like you might be one of those guys. But, I mean, a lot of people are, are, are generally thinking a much longer creative cycle, but you get to kind of work much more quickly, right? Yeah, yeah, and I don't mind. I, I love working uh, quickly, and I learned um, a long time ago there was a project that I was working on with Mike Scheibinger and I didn't realize it until I looked back on it years later that that was training for my future self Uh, in terms of we were writing for an MTV ad, an MTV spot for Sonic Foundry's Acid Pro. Yeah. Um, We were working with an ad firm and so Mike and I, we were like working on the music for it and we kind of locked horns on a project on part of it it was about 
I think it was about something to do with the guitar needed to be more corn and not so like seventies rock. Um, and so he, we got, we locked horns, whatever. Long story short, he said something to me that along the lines of, uh, you know, you're too close to your art. And that really hit home later on. I was like that, that kept ringing in my head like, uh, later on. And, and it now really makes sense. You know, I can't get too close to my art. Um, it's still me. It's still an extension of myself. Uh, but when I'm using that art to make a living, to pay my bills, uh, I can't get too close to it because, well, then it, it's not really, I could, someone might have a criticism or they might want to change. They want me to, they might have some notes. They want me to change things, whatever. And if I'm super close, I might, it might hurt. Right. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's God, true. Yeah. Hurts. Yeah. 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 And so I can't, I can't be emo about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, let's just create some cool music and be done with it and move on. We'll do another one, write another song, you know? Uh, I've got stuff that I do that's just all me that, like I said, I send to APM that, you know, no one's criticizing or I don't have to worry about anyone really liking it. Um, but then again, there's the other side where it's stuff that has to kind of fit a vibe. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It can't be too crazy. It's And it has to stay within those confines, you know, it's a. Re- I find it a really interesting process because I mean that that whole in many ways you know library music is much easier uh, uh, or the way that you're doing it is actually now easier to decipher in terms of success than it is if you're trying to hit the charts or make popular music because it's so difficult to right. measure success in that world. Whereas library, it's kind of okay. Yeah, it's a few months later and you get a, a check or a statement. And you go, yeah, that was popular. That did well. So I mean, you know, in many ways, it's much more clear cut and much. I mean, it's it's more commercial, sure. But I mean, if you operate in commercial music in any way, whether it's pop music or music that you're trying to sell records, for instance, if there is a, such a thing anymore, then it's actually much more similar to that in many ways now. Yeah, it totally is. And there's this other thing that they call discovery, which is really great. Um, so this tune that I had in Parts Unknown, um, I actually sang on it. And it's kind of a retro kind of uh, vibe. I, I think it, it's a little dark, kind of a, an electro, kind of almost goth vibe. But it fits so well to the scene. They cut such a cool scene to it. And they use my vocals. Um, they used about a minute and a half of the song. Um I didn't even know it was in the show because sometimes the stuff is so delayed. You don't find out until the BMI report comes and that could be like 10 months later. Um, Somebody reached out to me and they were like, Hey man, I really liked your song in parts unknown. It's, it's so cool. Uh, Reminds me of all all the the groups that I like Depeche Mode, the cure, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? I don't even know. I didn't know what he was talking about. And always, so I did some research and I asked them like, well, first of all, how did you even find me? I didn't release that song. The uh, song was not released. <laughs> how bizarre, There's no yeah. way. He, yeah. So, and he was like, well, I want to get a copy of it. Is it on like iTunes, Amazon, whatever? I'm like, no, I did not release that song. And it's crazy that you found me. And he said, oh, well, there was a, a whole like group of people talking about it on Reddit and someone figured it out did some research and found out that it was you and then sent me to your link. And I was like, wow. So I went over to, to Reddit and sure enough, there's a whole thing on a parts unknown Reddit subreddit about that song in that episode. And everyone's like, what is it? Who is it? And, and uh, I was like, Oh crap. I, I missed the first wave. Okay. When that episode, uh, came yeah, out. yeah, sure. I, I could have sold a crap load of downloads. Um, it's still now it's out. I released it and it does, it does well. Uh, I think I get like 300 streams 
um, 300 streams per month now off it just it used to be a lot more yeah sure what I do think you get it's, it's either 300 per day or per month I don't know some nothing crazy but still there's people right. interested in the song so that would be kind of like a popular song you know in my library like you mentioned popular song uh, so now you have that side of things too so you could actually blow up if you land in like a feature film you could be totally indie and own the masters to, to the songs and, and, and own all the publishing and um, land in a show or, or a featured film and that song could blow up. Yeah, you know, and there you, you could, go. You that's, could, your, that's your, holo- yeah. that's your holiday So that's hope. kind of like another aspect of Yeah, interesting. I guess that's the thing about streams. having all of that stuff out there. I just want to talk a bit about the creative process. So you're saying using a lot of hardware synths and a lot of stuff. I mean, do you find, because a lot of people who work for picture or production are working in the box because of recalls, because of all of that sort of thing. How do you handle that sort of thing? How do you tackle it or don't you care what you use so much? Well, so I'm not scoring for film right now. So... Um, that isn't as important. Uh, what they will ask me for a lot of times is they'll ask for stems. So as long as I have stems, we're good. Right. Um, and, of course, I have that. Uh, I don't have to really go in and change melodies or chords or, you know, swap out a sound. Right. Um, I, I haven't been in that situation yet. I'm sure someday that will come. I hope so because it would be fun. Um, but, uh, for example, last year I scored a... Uh, a game for Oculus called Damaged Core. So I wrote, um, what was it, about 30 songs. They're all a minute long, like industrial cinematic type tracks. Uh, and it's for that VR game, Damaged Core. It's by High Voltage Software. It's an Oculus game. Um, and so when you send those in, you send them a looping version of the song. You send them the song with a nice ending, and then you send them all the stems. Yeah, I and mean, game do, stuff is yeah. complex, isn't it? They have to do a lot of, you know, because there's all sorts of conditional mixes and balances and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm get, I can imagine that. Right, gets yeah, and stuff dense. that interacts with the environment and the gameplay. But so that's as far as I've gone in terms of actually scoring something to picture. Like, I had footage from the video game, and that was about it. And, like, uh, descriptions of the characters and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so... I haven't hit that that you know obstacle yet. Uh, so for me, I don't really need to do that. I suppose I would keep it in the box if I had you know if I had to do that. If I did score for film or something, it would make a lot of sense. But there's a lot of cool sign, uh, sound design things you can do with the hardware, you know, where you can really get into it with the tactile, with the knobs, you know, and and get some really cool things going there. Um, that you just print now you've got the audio yeah i screwed you can't really so this brings me on to another question which is you know obviously with that amount of stuff that you're going out do you tend to stick with particular instruments or are you kind of a bit of a gear uh junkie and because kind of, a, a new piece of equipment or a new something will spark off a whole load of new musical ideas how does that work for you uh definitely inspired by gear um especially something new when it comes in the studio uh, but I had to learn to curve that or curb, <laughs> sorry, curb that because <laughs> it can become like, as you know, kind of an addicted, an addiction and, uh, it can become a money pit. Yeah. Uh, so I found that I, I have the things that I need right now to get the job done. 
So here's a little word from our sponsors. Isotope RX6 uh, fixed in post. Very uh, apt for the post-production market, but also very useful for uh, producing music. You've got all sorts of tools for cleaning up audio, uh, de-noise, de-bleed, de-hum, some great vocal tools, de-essing, and also de-breath and de-click and de-pop and ground hum, amp noise, lots of great things. So if you want to check that out, please go over to isotope.com forward slash rx6. And we have a competition as well this week if you want to win it. Uh, As with all of the RX6 uh, isotope tools, you can download a free functioning demo. So if you go over like I say, isotope.com forward slash rx6. Go for it. And we thank Isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show via their competition prizes. Very much appreciated. So if you want to enter this week's competition, we haven't got a winner this week because this is a non-live version of the show. The episode 500 will we'll announce the winners of both. So we're looking for the hashtag instant audio repair. That's one word. The hashtag instant audio repair and the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So using that on Twitter, so you tweet instant audio repair and the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. We'll pick a winner in the next episode. So um, cool. it seems like a really good time to maybe have a look at what uh, what's in your studio and you can tell us a little bit how, about how you use it. So I guess uh, we'll cut here while you pick up your phone and, uh, and, and show us around the place, right? Okay. So starting here, I know this is uh, your rear-facing camera, so it won't be quite... I can see a couple of... Da- that, is that the Dave Smith corner? Yes. <laughs> so so what do you got that? Yeah, I recently got hooked on uh, Dave Smith stuff. Um, it started with the Tempest, which is over here. And uh, it's... You know, I, I love designing percussive sounds with that. Um, really cool, really fun. I also like tapping stuff on the pads. You know, I like playing because i play drums so um and so there's and it's that. got a lot yeah, it's got a lot of synthesis stuff in it i noticed you've done a couple of videos of just kind of hey look these cool little riffs and stuff and sketches you've done just on that oh yeah yeah no and the synth is there it's, the, it's got a sound you know it's so unique uh so on that one actually i composed the whole song in the tempest and i sent it to apm so it's a matter of months now that'll get placed in tv and then i can say Here's a song that was entirely composed entirely in the Tempest. Nice. That's and nice. here it is. Yeah, and then I can say, here's the show that it's in, or a video game, or whatever. So, um, so then moving along, we've got the P12, which I just got. Uh, I freaking love this thing, man. It's so alive. It's so crazy. It, it's organic, but it's digital and partly analog, I suppose. There's a, an analog filter in there or something. Um, but it's just so cool. And the distortion, it's amazing. For sound design, like, you could get some killer saturation out of it and harmonics. Uh-huh. It's almost like a guitar. Uh, and also, those extra notes in a polysynth really make a difference, don't they? More than a. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, being able to route, like, the parameters real quick with that, like, a quick routing uh, feature they've got on there, that quick assign. Um, so... Uh, I'm running that through a big sky right now. That's this is uh, my reverb. I love it, man. Um, Dream combo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's the uh, the TI. That's kind of my um, the TI two. That's sort of like my uh, Swiss Army knife synth. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. 
if there's a sound that I, I really need, I, so it's, it's just so easy to program and tweak that, that synth to get like really basic sounds. Um, cool, I think we're getting... So then, you know, there's a lot of synths. I've got an iPad station over here. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. There's an, there's an iTrack dock uh, on top and then a controller on the bottom. Uh, so that's my iPad station. Um, and then I've got a, a, a Voyager Electric Blue for analog monosynth goodness. Uh, Nord Lead. I've just always been a fan of the Nord Lead sound. Uh, and then a Korg Micro X just for like generic, you know, basic stuff. Um, and then over here we've got some congas. I've got a lot of hand drums in, in, in the back. Uh, I've got an acoustic guitar, just an old harmony guitar. Yeah. And then uh, a Les Paul classic right here for, um, it's, it's a little dark, so I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, that. no, I think we can make it out. Cool. You know, just the really, uh, this is a studio guitar, that's all it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Saber, Saber, you know, Music Man bass, a studio bass, you know, kind of an all-in-one tone kind of and what are you what are you what are you using to mix with have you got a, a, a desk i can't see a desk so i just think you, all right. so everything's going into the uh personas right you see studio live yeah in many ways it's quite a simple setup i mean it's not like larger are you working but have you got a lot of stuff in the box that you're using as well i mean do you you must you know you can't just use hardware for everything you know, i guess orchestral sounds or whatever it may be you know right. you have a you have a what what are you running what are you packing for your your main computer all right so i usually just get a cheap windows computer it lasts about two years and then i get another one you know um <laughs> nothing crazy Oh, right. uh, what do you what do you run on it for your main um, you know DAW for my DAW? Yeah, uh, I'm using Cubase. Ah, okay. Uh, I'm on eight five right now. I haven't bought the I didn't buy the upgrade yet. Uh, so um, I plan to. What are they up to nine something? Yeah, now? nine. That's right. Yeah, no, I think yeah. maybe nine five. But of course, I own a lot of different DAWs. Um, I have Pro Tools if I need it. I have Ableton Live. I have FL Studio. Uh, I have Mixcraft. Well, I produced a bunch of content for Mixcraft, so obviously I have Mixcraft. Right. Um, and Studio One. So it's all there. It's just you know I'm I go to Cubase. I've just been using Cubase for a long time, so. I like the MIDI editing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really important for composition stuff, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, Pro Tools or whatever is used a lot in the sync world, but it's not quite as fluent, or it wasn't for a very long time as fluent in the compositional side for MIDI and that side of things, right? Yeah. So um, so it's pretty basic, nothing flashy. It's just all about yeah. what's in your head. That's the main thing. So what are you using? Exactly. So are you using the Personas as the kind of your main sound audio interface, just hooking up via Firewire, I guess, or how are you doing that? Right. So I had, um, I did have a really cool UAD, the Apollo Universal Audio. Yeah, sound great those. Um, I had that going for a while, and then I picked up another cheap computer, and for some reason it just wasn't vibing. I think there was uh, there's some kind of weird hardware issue with the hardware and the computer. Uh, so I went back to my studio live. 
Right. And yeah, that's the interface. It's FireWire. Um, yeah, it does so the just, job. So yeah. just keeping it simple. And are those uh, Genelex monitors you, uh, behind you? These are JBL. Oh, okay. LSR. Uh, what is it? 4328P, I think. Right. And the that, powered. Are they your main? That's what you mix main, mainly on, right? Yeah, I love them. And actually, you'll find a lot of these in the post studios in Hollywood. A lot of the post editors mix on these particular monitors. Um, I didn't know that going in. I bought them in like 2007, 2008, just because I really liked how they sounded. Uh, and then I started going to post studios later on, and I'm like noticing these are like in every post studio. So that's um, handy because, I mean, that's that means that, you know, the guys are hearing kind of what you meant, I suppose, because they're listening to Yeah, exactly. System. So, yeah. Excellent. So um, what's, what's, what does the future bring, Jason? I mean, you know, do, are you kind of, I don't know whether you've got your own pro, your studio in your house or whether you're in a, a separate facility or what your kind of plans are. Are you, are you kind of got a, have you got a kind of dream for world domination or are you looking to, to maybe do some more creative stuff that under your own name as an artist? I mean, how does it, where does it go from here? I'm just happy getting work. So um hoping to get a few more video games. That was a lot of fun and it pays well. Um, I'm also, like I said, I just turned in uh, three songs to Nightingale in Canada. They're a big production sync agency. Um, I've got a bunch of new stuff coming out on APM. Uh, I sent a bunch of rock tunes to Jerry for a couple new shows um, on A&E. So, you know, I'm just going to keep doing that. And also, I'm producing content for Retronyms. It's an iPad app called Hook. Yep. Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff in their store, the audio content uh, copy store, that app that they've designed for uh, selling content. Um, So, I've got a contract going with them. So, there's a lot of stuff that I'm kind of juggling. Ultimately, I think for world domination, uh, you know, things are pretty good. We're doing well, but. There's always room for growth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I I think that world domination would be easy if I had like I landed a, a song in maybe like a um a feature film. Right. So we're kind of hoping that that's gonna happen with this Nightingale thing, with these kind of uh Owl City ish type songs. I can definitely hear them in like a Pixar film. Yeah, well, well, we'll fig- our fingers are crossed for you for that because that is Thanks, obviously man. that's obviously the kind of thing. I mean, this is interesting though, isn't it? Because I mean, as a musician, you know, there are so many different ways that one can can go. You know, you can have that, and then that might lead to kind of more artist based stuff. I mean, and and, and this, I mean, syncing is is one of, uh, and syncs and placements are definitely one of, a major part. I mean, it's one of the few areas where there's still money in the industry, to be honest, isn't it? I mean, as far as I can tell, so one thing I want to do is I want to help. I kind of want to help people that are in that are just getting started you know it'd be nice to do some kind of public speaking or whatever i tell people i do like i'll do free consultations just pm me and you know ask me whatever you want because i feel like a lot of musicians are out there and they don't know where to start they don't know what to do they could use a little guidance the sync world is great man it's so cool it's so cool if you're if it's if you can vibe with that that line of work, which not everyone can. It's a really cool thing. Uh, it's great to, to get paid doing, you know, being creative, doing what you love. So, and it's not for everyone, but I know a lot of people who would love to get into it. So, um, and there's a lot of people out there that could use that information 
could, a they little could bit use of help. help. So, so I guess people, yeah, could, so, people could, you know, just uh, message you on Facebook or something, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, that's one thing that I'd like to start doing more is kind of giving back to the community, helping people, uh, inspiring people to get a BMI or, or ASCAP account. You know, that's the first thing you should do that once you plant that seed or if you're in the UK, obviously it's not BMI, it's PRS. Uh, but once you start there, it, at least you've got you've gotten that far, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, how do you expect anything to happen if you don't start with the, the most fundamental? Which is the ability to track all of your work. And so therefore, you know, it gets assigned and, you know, one day that, that might yield some kind of, that's, that's good advice actually, because I guess then people yeah. could post stuff to, there are various sites where people could post and there must be people who pick up. But I mean, obviously you can't beat the, the face to face networking side of thing. I mean, you in LA is obviously the ideal place for that to happen. So it happens a little more um, easily, I guess. Right. It does in LA. Yeah. And also Vegas, we have Vegas nearby. I go to NAB every year. That's, you don't know what that's done for me. It's like uh, probably the best convention. I love it. I've uh, I've met so many people. You meet editors, supervisors, library agents, the whole nine. Do you think do you do you think there's a lot of room for growth in the sync industry? Is there a hunger? I mean, if you could be more creative and produce more stuff, would there be a demand for it? So, do you think there's room yes. for this whole thing to expand? Yes, for sure. We live right now. This is uh, like a, a renaissance for television um, with streaming and now Amazon, Netflix. They're all starting their own TV shows. There's so much content and more content coming out. So, yeah, there's definitely a need for more music content. Um, it's like I said, it's like a renaissance. I mean, there's so many great, cool new shows and they're not all on major networks. They're not on cable, you know. Sure. Uh, look at uh, this Master of None that's been nominated. That's uh, a Netflix series, Netflix original. Um, so yeah, for sure. Interesting. Yeah, Jason, thank you very much for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, hopefully, maybe see you uh, in at Nam in January in two thousand and eighteen. Right? Yeah, sure. I'll, Looking forward to it. I'll definitely buy you a margarita. Right? Oh man. <laughs> All right. Uh, as long as you'll let me buy one back, we got to do the absolutely. Well, I think by the sound of it, you'll but you'll be you'll be in a good position for that. So uh, anyway, best of luck with the rest of the year, and uh, hopefully see you very soon. Take care. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Nick.